Welcome to Exiles and Protectors. I'm your host, Cassie. And? And I'm Denise. And um, we are taking a journey together of a type of therapy called internal family systems. We call it IFS for short. And this explains the title of our podcast. So in this type of therapy, um, there are three beings, so to speak, within our psyche. Um, there's yourself, which is the sort of calm, um, aware, in-charge person. There are what are called exiles, which are essentially parts of our tra- or parts of ourselves, excuse me, that have been traumatized um, in the past. So if you know something traumatic happened to you, you know we can all kind of bring those moments to mind. But what we have to do with this p- type of therapy is we actually look at those. Um, little people within ourselves as separate individuals. Um, I like to give them nicknames. So does Denise. So we'll be nicknaming our people from now on, our exiles, our traumatized parts. Um, The flip side of this, which is I find personally more interesting for my journey, is we also then develop another type of persona um, called a protector. So for every exile you have, every traumatized little person you have inside you, you have then developed a coping mechanism to deal with that. Um, This is your defense mechanism. And this type of therapy calls those protectors. And those are actually also identified as little separate people that live within your mind. So again, just to recap, you have yourself, who's sort of the the one who should be in charge. Your true self. Your true self, the, the reasonable person who is the adult and can um, look at the situation as a third person. Then you have your exiles, which are your very wounded, traumatized parts. And you have your protectors, which are all the parts of you that have built up your defense mechanisms over all the years. Do you think I got that right? Yes. Okay. So for our launch episode, um, I've decided I'm going to talk about, um, one of my exiles. And then of course, one of my protectors, um, I've nicknamed this exile, the untethered. And of course that means she's got no ground under her. She's floating. Um, what happened to me to cause this particular trauma to happen? Um, is when I was five years old, um, I had, uh, I had an older brother who was 12. I'm sorry. I had an older brother who was 12 years older than I was. Um, and then I had another brother who was nine years older than I was. So my older brother was 17 he was um, shot and killed in a hunting accident. Um, and this added insult to injury in an already pretty messed up family. So to give you an idea, uh, my dad was an alcoholic um, and our family as is was sort of me, my brother and my mom as one unit and my father is sort of this satellite. Um, he was just not around. Uh, He would get off work and he would go to a bar and he would stay in that bar till 9, 10, 11 PM at night. And then he would come home. So, you know, we were sort of this tight little family without him around. And what happened when my brother died was uh, my father retreated further into his alcoholism. So we just saw less of him. Um, my brother who was uh 14 at the time the one who was nine years older than i was at that point became an addict 
um, he took the root of my father. He began um, doing drugs. He began drinking very heavily to, of course, deal with his own pain um, because he and my other brother were very close. And then my mother, um, while she remained functional and remained, you know, a good mom to me by all definition, she lost all of her joy. So here I am, or I should say, here is this untethered little girl. Okay. Cause we don't talk about it as I, we talk about it as another person. Right. As a third person. Right. So here's this five year old girl, this little girl who is, um, her whole world has just utterly shattered and she has now, uh, a mother who the spark has entirely left her being. She has, Oh, excuse my beagle. Um, she has a brother who has died. She has a, another brother who has now vacated the premises in search of, um, finding, um, you know, a way to appease his own pain. And of course she has a father who has never really, really been around anyway. So no one has a plan in this family. You know, we're talking 1975. Denise can attest to life in 1975, which was not exactly healthy. No, I mean, you know, mental health was never discussed, uh, much less dealt with. (laughs) So uh, nobody had conversations around mental health or Or um, even really just dealing with trauma. Yeah, dealing with trauma. Um, you were just expected to keep on keeping on and, you know, nobody in my family went to counseling. I don't think it was even discussed as far as I know, um, you know, in conversations that were had years later, I don't remember that ever coming up. That just wasn't a thing back then. No, it was, you were just supposed to be very stoic and, and move along. And, you know, but that does have an effect on the psyche of everybody in the family, of course. Um, and so interestingly enough, What ended up happening with me, not immediately, but later, I think probably when I was around probably 11, 12, 13 years old, was I got tired of not having a plan because nobody, again, nobody in my family, we were really just surviving. Nobody was thinking ahead much. And so what I did was I decided at some point If no one else is going to get me through this, I have to get me through this. And so I developed a protector, AKA a coping mechanism that I nicknamed the dictator. And because this exile, the untethered had gone through such an extreme trauma, um, the uh, protector I developed was also extreme. And so what the dictator's job was, was to make sure that this untethered little five-year-old girl was not going to have any more bad surprises ever. And this is what I mean by extreme. So the dictator essentially was like OCD. So she became very controlling of her own habits. Um, I would do things like I would write down, um, the clothes that I wore every single day in a diary so that I wouldn't repeat the same outfit in two weeks. Um, I would, I mean, we're talking a 14, 15 year old kid here. Um, 
I would choose all my outfits for the whole week and I would line them up in my closet in order. Um, I had all sorts of other um, little things I would do to create predictability. That was the whole goal of the dictator is create predictability as much as humanly possible. Now, yes, this served me well. It got me through some of the hardest years of my life. And it also made me a very good student and it got me scholarships to college. And, you know, were there benefits to this? Absolutely. Um, and that's the thing is creating these protectors from these exiles is not a bad thing. The, the, the thing that Denise and I want to do through this process is we want to look at those coping mechanisms and we want to deconstruct them. And what we want to say is, when was this serving a true purpose? And when, did, oh, sorry, dog again. When did this start to get in the way? So. Yeah, that's part of the, the reason that we want to um, deconstruct these protectors, these coping mechanisms, um, is because we don't want them to be at the forefront of our psyche, controlling our behavior at all times. They served a particular purpose when they were needed, but now that we are removed from that traumatic situation, they don't always serve their purpose anymore. And sometimes they can actually get in the way and they can impede your uh, personal growth, your relationships, um, your success. And so it's important to be able to look at them from a, an outsider's point of view and be able to analyze them sort of objectively so that you can put them in their proper place in your psyche so they only come up when they're truly needed yes and are not there at the forefront of your psyche all the time yeah 100 percent. and you know some examples from my life when this went from being a very good thing again you know through my teens it uh you know made me a raging success academically um and i'm now a teacher and you know that no secret that you know good students typically like to become good teachers um because it you know it's our comfort zone but it began to cause me real problems in relationships um i tended to be very rigid in my thinking i did not want to listen to other people's viewpoints and why was that because when i was young other people's viewpoints didn't do me any favors so i developed in my own mind this notion that I know the best way to deal with this and I don't want anyone else to try to tell me how to deal with this because no one knows better than I do. And the bottom line is, is that is simply not the case in life. You know, once you yep. begin getting into long-term relationships, once you are parenting, you know, these can cause some serious, serious problems later on. Um, and you, you end up fooling yourself into thinking that number one, you're, you're the one who has all the answers. And secondly, the sad part is you end up closing yourself off to ideas that other people bring to you. You, you, you swat them away like they're flies instead of looking at them and taking the time to examine them as if these people, you know, rightly might have something important to teach you or to tell you. And this is a great example, I think of when a coping mechanism has gone too far. Um, and I had to work uh, very hard to dismantle um, 
my uh, my protector, um, the dictator. And and trust me, she still very much likes to hang around. And so one of the things about this type of therapy, which is great, is you actually talk to your exile and you talk to your protector, you know, whether that's actually voicing a conversation or doing some journaling. So um, when I began this therapy, what I learned to say to my dictator is, listen, you know, you did a fabulous job protecting this five-year-old girl. You know, you put order to her life where there was none. And you showed her a way and a very clear path out of the confusion into a future that created a career for her and four years of college and, um, you know, learning how to save money and doing all these things that required massive planning. You know, you, and thank you for that. Thank you so much for doing that for her because she sure needed it. But, you know, I'm now an adult woman and you, I don't need you as much as I used to. So you need to let me take the reins and I will let you know when I need you. I promise I will call on you when I need you, but I don't need you as much as I used to. So, you know, let's make a pact that I'm, I'm in charge, but you can help out when I need you. Okay. And another important um, part of this therapy, another important benefit of this therapy is that when you do that, when you talk to your protector um, in that uh, objective voice um, and you look at your protector in an in objective way, you acknowledge and thank your for protector for protecting you. Um, but then you put it aside. That also allows you to deal with the exile that the protector was protecting. So you're also able to look at the exile that traumatized part of you that the protector was developed to protect in the first place in an objective manner. And that allows you, rather than feeling shame or anger or annoyance mm -hmm. um, at that traumatized part of you and all those painful feelings that that traumatized part brings to the surface, it allows you to look at that with empathy and to, you know, be able to identify with that traumatized part of yourself and allow yourself to feel those feelings and then put them away, just like you're trying to put the protector away yes. so that you can bring your true self to the forefront, which is incredibly important in being able to deal with past trauma and heal it. Right. And, you know, one of the things, uh, so Denise and I have both been through um, well, different kinds of therapy here and the, there in the past, but nothing that's really stuck with us because what it's always felt like to both of us is, you know, you go into a therapist's office and you kind of wander around in this horrible, thick pea soup of pain and emotion. And you don't come out with any more clarity than you went into, you know, that takes you back to the pain, but it's not productive. And the thing that struck both of us immediately about this type of therapy is how accessible it is and how fast you can identify your wounded parts and then it doesn't take a whole lot of thought, at least it didn't for me, to get from point A to point B and go, oh, that's the coping mechanism that I developed from that. Um, yeah, it seems to be very intuitive. 
Um, and yeah, well, you're thinking about them as other people. So, you know, think about the fact that when, if you have a friend that comes to you for advice, say relationship advice, you're very astute about saying, oh, well, hmm, it sounds to me like such and such is happening. And if I were in your shoes, I would probably do blah, blah, blah. And that's so easy to do with another person, but it's so hard to do with ourselves. And what this does is because you are taking literally your traumatized parts and your coping mechanisms that developed and you're looking at them as different people within you, all of a sudden you can access that wise, clear, reasonable place within yourself to talk to your parts and say, hmm, let's talk about it this way or let's think about it this way. And that for me has made all the difference. Yes, yeah, so for me too, because it allowed me for the first time to view my wounded exiles and my protective coping mechanisms in a way that I would view them if they were being exhibited in a friend uh, or a family member or somebody that yes. somebody else that I know. But it allowed me to remove that um, sort of, it allowed me to extract them and view them separately. Because if I don't do that, they're battling each other constantly within myself, within my psyche. Right. And so I don't, I really can't see them clearly. And I don't know how to deal with them. But if I view them as separate entities, it allows me to view them as if I were talking to another person, a friend or someone else. And so I suddenly gained that clarity yeah. that I never felt before. Yes. And, and, and in addition, of course, you gain the empathy um, toward each of these parts of yourself. So, you know, I mentioned a few minutes ago what I would say to my protector, um, you know, what I would say to my exile, the untethered, this little five-year-old girl is, you know, you were left without a plan. You know, everybody around you was struggling to get through this and survive, and nobody had a plan. And no wonder you felt so shattered. You know, your whole world as you knew it blew up. You know, you're, you were in a little family of four. It was you, your two brothers, and your mom. Again, your dad was gone. So one brother dies, which is bad enough. You know, the other brother then leaves, you know, he's at friends' houses. He's everywhere but home. Uh, your mother, who was one of the happiest people you'd ever, you know, that anybody had ever known, was pretty much a zombie because she was just dealing with trying to get up and function after this terrible, terrible loss. You know, so your whole world as you knew it completely blew up. And you had no frame of reference and you certainly had no perspective or any maturity to emotionally deal with this. And nobody in your family got you into see any sort of professional. So of course you were a terrible, terrible mess and you didn't deserve to go through any of that. Um, and, you know, it makes sense that you were so traumatized that you needed to develop a protector to help you. And, you know, all of a sudden, now that I'm talking to this little five-year-old girl, and then I'm talking to this teenager who developed this, you know, need to dictate everything that was going to um, happen in this little girl's life, you know, 
I can see them clear as day mm -hmm. and I feel enormous empathy for both of them. Um, but the, the cool thing is being able to talk about it as now a middle-aged woman and saying, okay, but these wounded parts of you, you know, um, they don't always have to feel so wounded. And this defense part of you doesn't always have to be so defensive because your circumstances have changed. You aren't in that circumstance anymore. You know, you have a house, you have a good job, you have um, a son who loves you. You've got stability now that you did not have back then. And that's sort of what this podcast is going to be all about is uh, with each episode, what we want to do is talk about um, an exile and a protector. And, you know, Denise and I have a ton in common. We've been friends now for, uh, gosh, about 12 years, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and our, our boys met when they were in preschool and yep. that's how we met <laughs> and they're about to graduate. So, um, you know, it's for us, we've already had, um, great success, um, just in our conversations, sort of uh, talking about this and deconstructing it. And so we thought it would be fun to, uh, turn this into, a. <laughs> sort yeah, a, a, pod a podcast, you know, in the hopes that it would help other people, um, you know, discover internal family systems uh, therapy and um, start thinking about, you know, even if they don't go to a therapist who is trained in, in IFS therapy, start thinking about this on their own yeah. and do some self-therapy. That's something yeah, that's that what we're you, doing. Yeah, that's what we're doing. And that's something it's that you can't really do with other conventional forms of therapy, no. like cognitive behavioral therapy or desensitization therapy. Mm. You can't really do those by yourself. Right. Um, those, right. those require the intervention of a professional. Yeah. But with internal family systems therapy, you can really do this on your own. Yeah, in fact, the way I started... Um, was I made, uh, I took a piece of paper and I wrote two columns. And in one column, it said exiles and the other, it said protector. And I just started listing all of the traumas in my life that I could remember having. And these go from childhood all the way up through the end of my marriage. Um, and for some, I was immediately able to identify the coping mechanism that was born as a result of that. For others, it took a while. Um, and, you know, I, I, and I know I'm going to find more, um, but I found it to be such a straightforward way to do it that made so much sense. And, uh, you know, Denise and I, neither of us are therapists. I'm a teacher and she's a translator. Um, but, you know, so if we can do it, I think a lot of people can easily access, you know, have access to these ideas. And yeah, and that's, that's one thing I really like about it is that it's so accessible. So, you know, we hope to introduce this method um to you know other people so that they can access it for themselves as well because yeah. it's um it's a way to sort of help people heal their own traumas um and you know sort of learn how to take charge of those coping mechanisms and put them in their place um to improve their own lives and you don't have to um you know rack up thousands of dollars in therapy bills <laughs> yeah, to yeah. do it. You can do it on right. your own. Right. And you, if you look up IFS or uh, internal family systems on the internet, you'll find lots and lots of uh, hits on that. So, you know, we encourage you, if you want to come along on this journey with us, keep listening, subscribe. That'd be great. Um, 
So thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. And we look forward to uh, you listening to our next episode. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye.